Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, Internet? Welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Podcast Producer Ben Elman. And everyone else is gone. It's just, it's <laughs> August. So Sherlyn's on vacation. A lot of people in Gadget are busy. So this week, it's me and Ben diving into some gaming news and a bunch of stuff and stuff that really tickles our fancy. How about that? Because I know you really want to talk about Armored Core 6, Ben. Oh my God, I have such a need for a mech game. And I had no idea that existed until I saw the Armored Core footage for myself. We gotta love a Big Mac. So we'll dive into that. We also have a review on the site. So we'll talk about that game and a whole bunch of stuff from Gamescom and some announcements from Sony, including that $200 PlayStation Portal portable thing. As always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes and also drop us an email at podcastandgadget.com. Um, our live stream, which we were doing Thursday mornings, is on hiatus for the summer. But we're looking to get that back. So I appreciate the folks who said that they enjoyed the live streams. That's really helpful. Keep those emails coming if you miss them. Okay, Ben. So our first piece of news this week is that uh, Sony announced the $200 PlayStation Portal. Technically, another PSP, which I find to be kind of hilarious. (laughs) And they teased this several months ago. We kind of talked about this because everybody was talking about the Valve Index, or everybody was talking about the Steam Deck and all these other little portable gaming systems. And I think even from the tease, it sounded like, oh, this would just stream games. And we're like, okay, okay, I I guess. Yeah, we were talking about this mm -hmm. in the context of like the ROG Ally and like some rumblings from Sony that there might be a handheld coming in the future, but there wasn't much information beyond that. And we got we got some pictures too. So yes, you can stream games, but not in the way we thought. Um, I think, and that's so annoying, so dumb. So the idea initially was like, okay, maybe this will let you stream games from your console, from the PlayStation Five, and from Sony's cloud services, because they have that. Uh, they have bought cloud gaming company, uh, cloud gaming company in the early 2010s. Um, and something Sony has been focusing on for a while. It's not just Microsoft, but it turns And that out would make sense, right? That would Like just to be able to stream games from your bed, but... That would make a ton of sense. But no, it turns out the $200 PlayStation Portal... Uh, which looks, by the way, like a tablet, like a uh, seven. It has an eight-inch tablet screen sandwiched in between the DualSense controllers. It can only stream games from the PlayStation Five. That's all. So they it can need do. to be downloaded to your PS Five, mm-hmm. and then you can stream them to your thing. That just the first time that I saw it, I was like, "Oh, that looks like the center of a switch in between two DualShock Five." Yes, edges. Yeah. So doing reading about this, I think once people saw this, um, I'd like to introduce another section, which we may come back to just WYD. What are you doing? 
And <laughs> I feel like for Sony, I have to ask this quite quite a lot. It's like, what are you doing, Sony? At a time when everyone is so excited about little portable gaming handhelds and in cloud gaming in general, um, they have this thing which can only stream games from the console. To be clear, it does sound like you can, uh, if you have access to cloud games on your PlayStation 5, you can stream it to your console, which is then streamed to this little handheld. So technically it can play games from that cloud. Uh, but I can't imagine Sounds that like latency to me. That sounds like latency just waiting to happen. And I'm just looking at this thing thinking, like, what what is Sony thinking? What is going on here? Because there are cheaper Android handhelds out there, which I know will not have the same level of build quality. This also has, like, the DualSense haptics and everything. But there are cheaper Android uh, handhelds out there, which will work with the PlayStation Remote app, which can already, uh, you know, stream games from your PlayStation 5 and also hook up to, you know, the Xbox Game Pass cloud streaming and also other cloud streaming services all this thing can do this is just a little portal to your playstation 5 that's all it is uh how do you feel about that ben the first thing that i thought when i read the fact that you can only stream things that are already installed on your ps5 is one there's another article on engadget right now about the best ssds that you can put in your ps5 but also it just like conjured an image of someone who has a little bit more money than sense, like being able to play PS5 games from their bed from anywhere, because yeah. their PS5 is all the way over there in their big house. I'm thinking of <laughs> like a music producer or, you know, like, you know, one of those rappers that's really into gaming or something. And like, they would be posting pictures of this on Instagram or something of like, oh, got the new like uh, PlayStation portal. But for a lot of other folks, especially like living the way I am right now, where I am trying not to have a TV in the living room, just so like if people are over, we're hanging out, we're like interacting with each other, not like watching TV or something. I would have a TV in my bedroom, which would mean that my console is also in my bedroom, which means that I don't need a PlayStation portal. Which also, I feel like, uh, good on you, Ben, for trying to have like a conversational hangouts with your friends. But I do feel like that calculus is always weird because then, okay, then you're screwing up your sleeping space, your your relaxing space. But I mean, my sleeping space is, is already screwed up because yeah. I am currently podcasting from my bedroom. <laughs> like at least a third of my bedroom is yeah. my workspace. This is just how we live now. So I get it. I get it. If you want to have a screen out of something, at least have it be the main room. Um, I don't think you need to go that high end, Ben, for like a rap producer or something or like a music producer because this thing is 200 bucks. Um, I've talked to people who bought the Steam. Steam Deck, which retails starting double this price. And personally, I got the Steam Deck because I'm like, I like the PC game. I don't always want to sit at my desk here to to do that. And my Steam Deck was like the the top end one that started at like 650. I'm gonna put Aaron Suporis from Engadget on blast here because he he's in a one bedroom apartment in New York, and he was like, Oh yeah, I'm totally buying this because I don't always want to be playing on my PlayStation Five in my living room. So there is an audience for it. Um, I think the word, the phrase I have in mind here, though, is missed opportunity. I feel like Sony could have done so much more. The price is good. The fact that this is just $200, especially after the PSVR 2 came out, and it was 
almost or a little more than the console itself. Can we fact check that? It was, it's definitely, definitely more. It was either 500 or 550. I'm going to look this up right now. Okay. So like a comparable cost. Okay. So a comparable cost to the console itself. This other peripheral is now very well priced. It is priced under the uh, Nintendo Switch, even that I compared it to, so that not quite makes... the Switch Lite. The Switch Lite, I believe, is has been at two hundred, but I have to look that up again too. Yeah, still yeah, like two hundred. It, it is a decent price for something that can only stream installed games or yeah. maybe like streamed from a central server game with significant latency. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think you're also paying for the Sony brand name here too, and the build quality. Certainly, this thing looks much cooler than those, you know, very cheap Android handhelds, uh, from random Chinese companies. Like this looks like higher quality. Um. So you were definitely paying for that. But you know what? This feels like a Chromebook situation. You know, where it's like you're just paying for like a really a device that can do one thing. And I guess that price makes sense. But I'm looking at the Switch Lite here, which is a Beautiful little console, so cute, so portable. Um, can play any Switch game. You could that game can play Tears of the Kingdom for two hundred dollars in your hands. Uh, it just seems weird. And I have to ask again, what are you doing, Sony? Uh, we're looking at the rest of the specs on this thing. It has a three and a half millimeter jack, thank God, but it doesn't have his Bluetooth. So, yeah, and let's get into that because what are you doing, this Sony? was <laughs> yeah. and like Sony announced this along with a few other peripherals, including some earbuds. And we were talking just before we started recording the show about how, like, yes, you can get the earbuds to connect wirelessly to the PlayStation Portal, but it is through like this new the Pulse Explorer earbuds, which also cost two hundred dollars. Okay, so if you want to get fully kitted out, that's going to be a full $400 for a fully, like, wireless PlayStation experience. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so these connect wirelessly to the PlayStation Portal. They do not connect wirelessly to the PS5. Is that correct? That is correct because uh, the PlayStation, the Pulse Explorer and the new Pulse Elite headset... um, they are using a new wireless uh, technology called PlayStation Link. And if Sony loves anything, it is proprietary technology formats, which screw up all the tech you already have. So no Bluetooth, but PlayStation Link. And uh, yeah, for the PlayStation 5, if you buy one of these things, you'll need a USB adapter to use PlayStation Link. I think there are also some, there's a lot of rumors out there that Sony's working on like a slimmed down version of the PlayStation 5 as they tend to do. It's been, I'm looking forward to that. I don't yeah. have a PS5 right now and I'm thinking about getting one, but I'm waiting for this possible announcement. Just wait a bit for that. But that sort of thing, it seems like if they can get this tech into like a really cheap little handheld like this, it's it's just a matter of time. Like they just didn't have the time to, they, it didn't exist when the PlayStation 5 was being developed. So they could just plug that tech right into whatever the new slim version of the PlayStation 5 is. So it's just one of those weird things. But again, this is a $200 uh, portable gaming system that doesn't have Bluetooth, which is the if you already have wireless headsets, you probably have Bluetooth. If you're lucky enough to have cans or something, then you could plug in your three and a half millimeter cable. Thank God for that. But speaking of cans, yeah. let's not forget to talk about the over ear headphones that they announced as well. Yes, but the over ears. Uh, yeah, I mentioned that. That was the Pulse Elite over ear headphones. What is really cool about the headphones? And this is the Sony thing. I'm like, well, 
your flagship new little portal project seems like seems like a huge miss. But uh, kind of on the uh, on the on the down low, so he's like, oh, by the way, we're like the first company to bring planner magnetic drivers to to wireless earbuds. And you're like, what, Sony? You did what now? Um, because I think audio geeks know. Uh, there are different types of speakers and headphone technologies, right? There's uh, what dynamic, electrostatic, and then uh, planar magnetic is like the other one, which tends to have a uh, right. They're they're thinner. They're yeah, supposedly okay. more no, accurate. Yeah, you're right because I was coveting. Man, I don't even yes. remember the model number of these planar magnetic headphones, but they were wired. And yes, that's everything never been a problem for me wired. because I am yeah. a three point five millimeter boy. That is that's the thing. First of all, I had to like readjust my hands. Like, oh wait a minute, we're in a world where you can have wireless earbuds with planar magnetic stuff. Um, yeah, I have some big giant cans here, which are super heavy but sound incredible because they use this like magnetic technology. And there's some good descriptions of that stuff out there. So I'd say just go look that up. But the the thing is, uh, technically, these should be less bulky. These should give you higher quality sound and also less distortion because the sound is coming through like something sandwiched between two magnets that are like perfectly aligned. This is the first set of wireless earbuds I've seen with this technology. There are other in-ear monitors um, from other companies. I believe Wirecutter and a couple of places have mentioned this. But you can get a wired earbud with planar magnetic for under 200 bucks these days. So that's wired. So for Sony to have actually a pair that are $200, that's actually pretty cool. And um, and these buds, even though the PlayStation Portal doesn't have Bluetooth, these buds do support Bluetooth. So you can have, okay. you can uh, cool. support, you can plug into your phone and into the PlayStation 5 at the same time, I believe. So I guess some serious Sony heads can also just use these earbuds as their like daily earbuds. You can, yeah, I mean, hopefully they have a microphone too, so yeah. you can use them for phone calls. And they also support also. Um, both of these headsets. The Buds and the new headset support uh, that new PlayStation Link technology supports low latency, lossless audio. So it's supposed to be higher quality. But this is all very feels reminiscent of like the mini disc days. And I remember in the 90s when I used to covet the mini disc players that they're so adorable. They're so cute. They could holding digital music on tiny little discs and you had to get them from Japan. They weren't really widely sold everywhere. I really wanted mini discs so hard. But as a standard, it kind of died because it was only supported by Sony. You so. know where mini discs stayed relevant for a while? In radio, yeah, because there were like field recorders that used mini discs for a long time, from like the late '90s to like the mid 2000s or so, until we started getting SD cards that were like big enough to really hold uh, large audio files. I seem to record that a lot of audio people I know also just use like giant DAT recorders, which which just record to tape. So yep, yep. That, that was nice too. Yeah. So when you were talking, when you initially like introduced the idea of the PlayStation Portal to me when we were planning this episode, you were saying that Sony is bad at new devices sometimes, sometimes. many times. I think Sony so, makes baffling decisions, hence the new section, what are you doing, Sony? So, okay, and yeah. so let's go through that. You, So like the Vita and the PSP are from an era where I just wasn't paying that much attention to Sony. You have professed your love for the Vita several times I love the Vita. Uh, just this year, just mm-hmm. in the last couple of months. Sony, Sony's um, a baffling company. So, and so you said yeah. the PSP was underserved. Yeah. Can you explain what you mean by underserved? Um, sure. So by underserved, uh, specifically, I think this is the PSP... 
Sony just didn't push it enough. Um, it, w- it had a pretty decent audience. There was a decent selection of games. But I think what it really came down to was that by the time Sony was like, okay, the PSP is doing fine. Let's do the Vita. So the PlayStation Vita was released in Japan in December 2011. It hit the U.S. a couple of months later. It had an OLED screen. You know, it had the companies like it had the basic PlayStation controls. It even had analog sticks, although they were more like sliding analog thingies. They didn't really click in very well. Um, and it had shoulder buttons and stuff. But like it was a beautiful looking device. Um, Sony's a company which I think can make some beautiful devices like their consumer design can be amazing at times. And hey, now everyone's excited about the Steam Deck and all these other little portable things. But I think the Vita was super powerful for the time. It had a great screen. I spent at least over 100 hours playing uh, Persona 4 Golden on that thing. Uh, not every game was great. I think there was an Uncharted game uh, that that just didn't end up doing very well on the Vita. But I feel like Sony had this thing and then they had the PlayStation 4. It, it was PlayStation 3 before it because this was even before the PlayStation 4 launched. But they had this and then the PlayStation 4 and they're like, oh, that's our focus, right? What is this portable stuff? Who cares? Uh, fast forward a couple of years and Nintendo releases the Switch <laughs> and just like <laughs> dominates, dominates Drinks everything. their whole milkshake. Drinks the whole milkshake. It's Yeah, Nintendo was into handhelds before, but Nintendo, Nintendo's key insight was that, hey, we don't, I think with the Wii, they were like, yeah, we don't have to play the same game as everybody else. And then they were like, well, you know what? Portables are getting fast enough where we don't even really need to focus as much on the actual putting powerful hardware in the console. We could just make this thing fully portable. But anyway, the PS Vita was there and Sony just like it just slowly died. And it I think it's very hackable. Uh, you can, uh, I believe, run Android or run things on it to emulate games. So it was decently powerful for the time. Um it was just one of those things that Sony did. It was like, I don't under, you have this beautiful product. I don't understand why you're not pushing it. And then Sony corporate will do things like, um, release some baffling neck speakers, which I did. And I didn't on. remember what you were talking about until I looked at the like timestamp on that article. And I remember you talking about it in the fall of 2019. Cause we had just restarted the podcast right around then. Yeah. Yeah. And these are not like the headphones that also have like a little necklace kind of attachment that I had seen like people on the subway that was in before New York we City, had good like wearing earbuds. and stuff. Yeah. 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 So like that was a way of I think like having a bit more uh like chips and stuff on board that you needed for um like wireless connectivity. But no, these are actual like this is a kind of neck ring. It looks like a we um, called it a ca- personal a flotation device. Yeah, it's a personal flotation device. It also looked like a cow you know, collar, you know, or cattle collar or something. Um, there's speakers and it plays you music to you. It plays music. There's speakers you wear on your neck. Like that's it. That's the idea. Um, I, I forget like where Sony is. I believe they re-released those and have like a different version of those now. But when I did it again, this was 2019. There was no Bluetooth compatibility to connect anything to it. You had to plug in a three and a half millimeter or optical cable into a wireless receiver. So that's also what you need to do if you want to connect it to your TV or your computer. And it sounded fine, but it just seemed like an absolutely baffling device at the time. There are arguments now I've seen uh, from people, I think, post-pandemic. They were like, yeah, it, maybe maybe I wouldn't mind like a little speaker that I just wear on me all day. Uh, even though It wireless, looks very future. 
like the pictures in this article look very future, kind of like um, someone wearing these uh, like Sony neck speakers along with a like Starfleet like singlet uniform. Sure, or something. I guess like if it, if this was the '90s and you're like, uh, what, what? Give me some future-looking stuff. Uh, speakers you wear in your neck. Sure. If somehow that is more convenient to you than headphones or tiny little earbuds or something. Um, because earbuds existed in the in the 90s uh, they just weren't wireless yet yeah um, yeah, yeah it, it just seems like one of those over design things i think sony sometimes over designs and doesn't understand why it's making a product and then they're like oh nobody actually wants this that's who could have imagined we could have imagined sony we could have told you what's going on there um so yeah the the playstation portal kind of reminds me of that um, I did actually just recently write a piece. If you want to hear my full thoughts on Sony, because I ranted at Sony. Uh, well, oh, yeah. And yeah. that was the thing that made them send you a kind of a little nasty gram, right? No, a little nasty like gram. Like they, yeah. they were frustrated with you? Yeah. In 2021, uh, it was a big anniversary year for Sony, I believe. It was, I think, the 75th anniversary. And I was trying to like just write a story about, like, hey, what's going on with Sony right now? Because it is a company I grew up liking. I think before apple became a thing before the ipod dominated consumer technology um sony and was you like accused them of having lost the plot i lost the plot uh my piece was can sony reclaim its former glo- glory uh the deck is playstation saved it but can sony still innovate like it used to and i think it's worth a read because i kind of walk through a lot of the things sony completely missed out on they missed out on portable music because they were so focused on the MIDI disc and <laughs> memory stick Walkman devices, things that the uh, technology that they only that only they owned. Um, when the iPod came out, uh, Sony released a Walkman that same month that had a 128 megabyte memory stick, the largest available at the time. Okay, just to play yeah. devil's advocate a little bit. Uh-huh. The way that a lot of these like big manufacturers do things seems to be kind of like guessing in the same way that like a soccer goalie guesses when sort of uh, defending a penalty kick it's all guessing and so you're accusing them of saying like oh you totally lost the plot because after the fact you're like how could you not see the kick going for the top right corner well i I think they could see had to guess what you could see them doing what they guess ben what always happens is somebody's like how do we make this our thing how do we lock this down into our devices, our system, our formats, right? And that has always been a complaint against Sony. Like Minidisc, uh, people like Minidisc, but CDs were out there and they fit more things and you just have a slightly bigger player. It wasn't the biggest deal in the world. Memory, when Memory Stick came out, there were other, uh, there were flash drives. There were other ways to store data, but Sony, but no, Sony had to do it their way, you know? And it was like, it's a very specific thing and it's that sort of restriction which I think, yeah, you're you're kind of trying to predict where the goal is going, uh, but also if you if you are forcing it to be under your term so much, it's almost like you're you're trying to like demand to pick up and move the goal at the same time, which I think is a very that is not great. And then yeah. the crux of yeah, this no, piece, by sense. the way, um, is that Sony fell victim to the innovators' dilemma. And for for decades, Sony ruled the consumer electronics world. Their badge on anything, on speakers, on TVs, TVs in particular, Sony just ruled. Like their their CRT TVs, uh, their Trinitron CRTs were like the best you could ever get. Um, since the 
believe since the early 70s. Like the early Trinitrons came out back then. They looked better than most other TVs. Those things lasted decades. Sony completely missed it out on the idea of flat screens because they were so committed to making big CRTs, which is what they're Extremely deep TVs. Extreme. I love them. (laughs) And people right now are going back and loving them. But yeah, so uh, I actually saw like a little uh, TikTok or something from someone who went to their local like broadcast station and got these broadcast grade um like monitor TVs studio and monitors, apparently yeah. yeah studio monitors that are fantastic for like NES that's that's what it is yeah yeah you need some like really specific like um connector adapters but th- these make the nes look so crisp mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean people are those are cherished things right now if you have access to any old crts especially studio monitors especially sony trinitrons from the 90s and, oh yeah and this guy yeah. got them for free too they're being resold for quite a bit online these days too so th- this is the whole thing uh, but anyway sony missed the plot on digital audio they missed the plot on phones because Sony Ericsson phones was like a whole thing True. for a while. I had one of those. I loved my Sony Ericsson, but then it was just a phone that was like a pretty good phone, but didn't didn't think about like where phones could be going, you know, and Apple once again came in and did that. Um, I think even on the console side, like they, yeah, they've been doing pretty good, but I think the PlayStation 3 was kind of a miss for them compared to like what the Xbox 360 did in terms of multiplayer and everything. They just keep kind of missing, but now it feels like, you know, yeah, most of Sony's business is basically uh, PlayStation. The vast majority of it is PlayStation and then um, the stuff they get from movies. So they still have the Spider-Man license that they're sharing with Marvel. Um, They still have some Marvel characters. So that stuff is making money for them. They're just in a really weird place. But anyway, we come back around to the PlayStation Portal just being a baffling device. I'm looking forward to testing it at some point. Um, But you know what, folks? Let me know what you think. Because Sony is just a company that kind of irks me sometimes. Like, I I can love them. But then I sometimes think they are just completely, completely insane in terms of what they do. But hey, Apple does this too. We did rail against the $1,000 monitor stand. You know, those things, all these companies kind of have these weird blind spots. But Sony in particular is one I think that can be capable of so much good and just make some simple mistakes. One more bit of Sony news today. The company announced that they're acquiring Audis, a company that makes planner magnetic headphones. So I guess that makes a ton of sense after this whole discussion. Audis says that this acquisition will give it a wider reach, which certainly makes sense if they're going to be part of Sony. And it also seems like uh, Sony is not keeping this technology exclusive. Audis currently makes headsets for Xbox and other platforms too. This is a bit surprising because we don't really see Sony buying small companies much these days. But, you know, betting on planner magnetic uh, audio drivers, I think, is going to make a lot of sense. Everybody's trying to figure out ways to make headphones sound better. And this technology is a massive leap forward once you hear it. So it makes sense for Sony to take a bet on this right now. So there was a lot more news that came out of Gamescom and... I want to go in that direction because yeah, I want to yeah, talk yeah. about Armored Core. Armored Core. Uh, so what was it? It was like maybe two or three weeks ago now that I saw a little clip of Armored Core. Again, it was probably on TikTok. I spend way too much time on TikTok. TikTok's um, good. Someone yeah. just throw me a life raft for that. And I'm like, what is this game? Like, this looks pretty cool. Uh, I saw people in the comments saying like, oh, is this a Gundam game? Like, this this looks really amazing. I was like, Wow. I can't believe that I haven't played a giant robot game in a long time. Also, at the time, I've just had, like, giant robots 
on the mind. Um, I had been thinking about that Cartoon Network series, Megas XLR. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. I've been thinking about this other series that I saw like on, like I think it was Fox, like after school cartoons, Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot. Yeah, just big robots on the mind, and I ho- I Armored hope. Core came at the right time. Perfect time for this, and uh, the full name of this game, by the way, is Armored Core 6, Fires of Rubicon, and this is the first time, this is the first new Armored Core game in uh, almost a decade. It's kind of wild, like after From Software saw huge success um, with the Souls games, so with Dark Souls and um, and Bloodborne, and most recently Elden Ring. They had Sekiro, which is their sort of like, uh, it's also a ninja stealth game, uh, kind of in that vein. But now they're going back to their roots, to Armored Core. Yeah, yeah. because Armored Core is like an old franchise for them. Um, it's one of the things that they started with in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And so after seeing this gameplay, and then I looked at uh, like a few like preview videos on YouTube, uh, including one from, let's see if I can pronounce this right, Vatividia, that's V-A-A-T-I-V-I-D-Y-A. This guy with a very calming voice just did like a 46-minute preview of Armored Core. This is incredible. However, I have never played a FromSoft game. I was like, I've just heard people talk about how fantastically difficult all the Soulsborne games are. And so I was like, Mm, okay, I really want to play the giant robot game. But is it going to be so, so, so hard? So we see in this review on Engadget by Igor Bonifacic, and I also asked some folks that I'm in contact with, I like queried a Discord that I'm on, <laughs> okay, I want to play the giant robot game from FromSoft. Is it going to be fantastically difficult? And I was told, no. Igor's review backs this up. It is definitely something that you have to get good at, but it is not like a get good kind of game well you have to get good at the systems is the thing yeah but you're going to have to learn the controls but it is not something that is so like punishingly difficult like elden ring or uh, bloodborne is that you're going to be like dying a hundred times before you beat the first boss i don't know those people you asked did they uh, did they play the game it, do you mean yeah. Armored Core? Have they played or... this Armored Core yet? Because uh, they have a lot of the other reviews Core I'm yet. saying is like, oh, buddy, strap yourself in for three-hour long boss fights where you throw yourself against the mm. boss until until you figure out the thing that cracks. Okay, but so, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. Igor himself said that he did you know, he might have done a boss fight like 10 times or something. I've, I've heard three to four hours long... from some people, so. <laughs> well, okay. I... Hey, we'll give see. it a shot. Give it a shot. Yeah, That's we'll, all I'm saying. I'm definitely going to give it a shot. Um, uh, but the thing that I'm looking for is just like a game that isn't so incredibly difficult that like if I lose against a boss maybe two or three times, I start to understand what is happening. And so instead of losing like 25% of the way through the boss fight, I get to 45 or 50% of the boss fight by the third go at it or so. Um, in this Discord that I also queried, I asked, like, okay, has anyone else, like, played an Armored Core game? Um, Igor also said, like, this is his first Armored Core game. This would be my first Armored Core game as well. And I asked, like, okay, so is it fantastically difficult? And, like, what is this like? 
in relation to like other video games or other FromSoft games. And one of the folks that responded to me said, okay, so imagine there is a giant mech game and there is like giant mech fighting, but is it is also a little bit like Gran Turismo, where you spend a <laughs> yeah, lot of time yeah. in the garage, like tweaking your builds and uh, figuring out the best way to get through a certain section of the game or a certain boss fight. And I have to admit, that's something that actually sold it to me. I was, I grew up with a lot of car guys. They were always, interested in like Gran Turismo and like all of the other racing games with very customizable cars. I was never interested in, you know, finding this cold air intake versus this other thing versus this turbo uh, setup. But I did like the core mechanic of tweaking things to make sure that to like make the bars go a little bit higher. I I think just give it a shot. Like, but you, you, I don't, do you have any of the newer systems to play this? It's Xbox, PS5. I I have, I have access. I'm I'm dating someone with a PS5. Well, there you go. (laughs) You You have access. I mean that, and that's how I uh, played Control in my preferred way too. Like I didn't even know that I got like more than seventy or so percent of the way through Control when I was streaming it to my Switch, but I had to quit on that because the latency was just so high. So I started Control again from the very beginning on the PS5 with the better graphics, and I was much happier with it. That's, so, that's the way to play it. Well, if I, you, if you want to, like, wet your beak a little, Ben, before you get into this game, I do want to recommend Into the Breach to you. I don't know if you've played that, but that's a little isometric uh, strategy game. Oh, yeah, that's also, the one from uh, the FTL developers, yeah, from the right? FTL folks. Yeah, that is a great game. Also pretty tough, but I think we'll... It, it doesn't give you the sense of, like, controlling a giant mech like Armored Core 6 does. I am very excited for this, too, by the way. Um, but I, I think it may scratch some itches. Like, they, it does have a good sense of, like, sc- uh, scale, I think, would be a good way to put it. Um, but right now, I've been thinking, like, should I get Baldur's Gate 3? Or should I get Armored <laughs> Core 6? And I'm still playing Tears of the Kingdom, but I just need, like, another thing to spend some time on. And you know what? I don't. I think we need to get Jess on to we gotta, we talk about Baldur's Gate, even though yeah. it's like it might be a month late or something, because there's yeah, so yeah, yeah. much to do in Baldur's Gate. People are still figuring out like really interesting mechanics. I just heard about this thing, uh, this strategy that people are calling Owl Bear from the Top Rope, where you make a huge stack of boxes, you get a druid to stand on top of those boxes and shapeshift into an owl bear, which is one of the like largest heavy animals that they Body can shapeshift into. Yeah. And then if they do a certain attack that negates fall damage, you can just like meteor strike these uh, enemies that might be like way below you and do, you know, massive, massive damage. I feel I feel like I'm there. I like I may get there, but I also look at Armor Core 6. I'm like, I yeah, again, giant mechs. I've not been here in a while. And I am absolutely I'm a little sick of some of the like uh, the PC RP stuff like uh i remember getting really excited for neverwinter nights when that came out and just was not into it like it's not the same as like a jrpg or something so that that just took a while to grow on so anyway maybe we'll both yeah let's get on to other stuff tell me about this this huge 57 inch monitor well you know one you brought up jess um we will probably have this on in a bit because we will need to talk about starfield in a couple weeks so maybe we can get her her thoughts on that and her thoughts on Baldur's Gate and everything. But yeah, you know what, folks? If you are planning to get Armored Core 6, let us know. Are you a newbie? Whatever. Podcast and gadget.com. Yeah, send your friend code. But tell me about these 57-inch 
ultra-wide gaming monitor. Uh, well, yeah, Samsung just unveiled uh, this ultra-wide. Uh, it's a dual 4K gaming monitor. So not just 57 inches, not just 4K, but is effectively giving you two 32-inch 4K screens. Um you know, God bless your GPU. Like whatever GPU is powering this thing, like Godspeed. Good luck with uh, playing any game natively. But this continues Samsung's trend of just uh, making big ass screens and big ass monitors. I reviewed the uh, the 55 inch, uh, basically a TV, but the 55 inch gaming monitor that they released earlier this year. That thing was kind of a bear. This thing seems even wilder. Uh, for 2500 it is a mini LED screen with HDR 1000, which is pretty good. That's 1000. It's a peak brightness. has 10-bit color processing, 240 hertz refresh rate, which is what you want, a one millisecond response time, lots of ports. Um, you'll also get AMD's FreeSync Premium Pro with variable refresh rate. Um, hey, that's this sounds pretty great, but I, this is the Odyssey and Neo G9. Let me tell you, folks. Right now, I'm sitting in front of a 49-inch PC gaming monitor. I'm uh, in the midst of like testing and reviewing LG's latest Ultra Gear, which also, I believe this one... don't know if this one has OLED, actually. I have to double-check here. But this one also has like a super huge screen, super fast response rate. These things are amazing for games, you know, especially for games that take up this full thing. But, oh, man, I don't know about the Samsung. Like, what do you... Have you used an ultra-wide display yet, Ben? I have not used an ultra wide display. I don't know how it would work with my actual like workflow. Oh, you only like, yes, it would give me a huge amount of timeline mm -hmm. to edit all of all my the time podcasts line. on. I also think, but yeah, I, like one of the big things that I do. Okay, so two questions or two thoughts in general. One, I feel like this is going to end up being used by a lot of sim enthusiasts. Sure, sure, sure. So like flight sim, Formula One sim, kind of like people who are really into those kinds of games that need a very wide field of view. The second question, and that's something, this is something like more central to my workflow is how are you going to subdivide this screen? It's, it's hard. It's impossible. I'm on a Mac right now. I use a program called magnet to give me the functionality that windows has had for a while where you can snap windows to half the screen or a quarter of the screen or something this is so big. Good luck. How do you like make it? How do you subdivide your windows Go on with this God. thing? That's all I can say. Because <laughs> what I do is I will drag the window over to the edge of the screen and it will just snap. If you have so much screen and you want to keep something in the center, yes, I know that you can use hotkeys. I guess you're going to have to get really you good at the hotkeys. You will have to figure out a system. Yeah. Otherwise, if you're not good at the hotkeys, if you don't want to get good at the hotkeys, how are you going to do this? Is there a way of doing it just with like a mouse? It I'm depends. Sure. I mean, with Windows, it's all easier on Macs like that. That makes everything harder. Um, I will say you will not be getting this screen. <laughs> don't buy this monitor unless you specifically know exactly what you want to do with it. Um, with these ultra wides, especially these extreme ultra wides, because there are ultra wides that are like 21 by nine, which is what I typically live with. I typically use a 34 inch ultra wide, which is sort of like two 20, 24 inch monitors side by side. And it's great. I love it because I don't have to turn my head too much, but I get a lot of workable, uh, you know, workspace and stuff. Now that I'm testing this 49 inch, I really have to like lean my head. I have to look all the way in the corner to see what's going on, on the left side of this monitor. I can just imagine like that whole experience being even more extreme with a 57 inch. So anyway, this thing is very cool. Um, and I highly recommend ultra wides to people. When you go to Best Buy, when you go to any stores, like just sit in front of one of these things. It is much better than buying like two monitors and doing that whole thing. 
But I also don't think most people will need to go to these extremes. Like the 49, even this 49 inch is taking up, I have a very large desk. This 49 inch is basically taking up the entire desk and I have to like do a special arch to get my microphone around it and everything. My 34 inch, perfectly in the center. I could put a couple windows side by side. That's all I really want and still really immersive for games. Um, but I am intrigued by this and I wanna know, I want Ultrawise to be more popular. So yeah. This is really cool. Maybe maybe once I clear off this LG, I could just ping Samsung and be like, hey, just, just send me one of those. I just wanna I just want a little look. I just want a little look. But I will say, folks, like playing right, I've been playing a lot of Halo Infinite. I've been playing a lot of Cyberpunk on this LG. Man, is it immersive. Man, it is almost like VR without like the the full, you know, putting on a headset and stuff. But this Samsung monitor at dual 4K, you're gonna need a hell of a video card. Like that is you need two 4090s, you know, like you, you need a 4090 um, and be careful with your specs. You can't just crank that all the way. So I want to see how people use this and what they're using to power it. But anyway, we've got a bunch of other gaming news. I just want to quickly mention Atari announced the 2600 Plus, which is a miniature console that plays 2600 and 7800 game carts. This comes after Atari... Um, launched the vcs which was their little like other mini console um which they discontinued and played some atari games i don't i have very little love for the atari era ben and i feel like the company right now is just really trying hard to get people back there do you have any love for this or any of these games no i have to be honest this might be before my time it's definitely before your time yeah 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 it's before uh, my really, time yeah yeah i mean really my like intro to console gaming was with the n64 so anything before that is stuff that i had to like expose myself to on purpose it was not just ambient the thing that i'm really curious about in terms of this atari 2600 plus is how much is it really adding to the balance sheet i want to see like numbers on like a boring document I, that yeah. say okay how much money are you actually making on this how much are you making who has these games to actually who has the cards are they still in working condition um i i grew up on the nes that was the thing that made me fall in love with tech and games in general and man i have a hard time going back and playing a lot of nes games because just the tech was not there you know there's some really great ones all the marios are good all the zeldas are good uh what what else was good uh the early metal gear solids um there was a uh little nemo game that was fantastic. There were some great platformers back like then. Like Little Nemo Little in Dreamland? Nemo in Dreamland has a fantastic wow. NES okay. game. I spent hours playing that with my friends at the time. But really, the console that really brought it all home was the SNES for me. You know, the SNES and Genesis era really just like, oh, these are like arcade quality graphics right here. So I even I have very little love for the NES these days. I can't imagine going back to this. Let us know, folks. Is this interesting to you? We also saw some news at Gamescom. NVIDIA announced DLSS 3.5, uh, which is a slightly updated version of their AI upscaling tech. So DLSS has had a journey. You know, initially it started out being like, hey, um, we will render your games at a lower resolution, use AI to kind of upscale them and make them look better without giving, without like taking up all the horsepower needed to render the game at a high resolution. So say you want to play a game in 4K, DLSS could let you render it at like 1440p. That's the horsework the GPU does. And then with AI upscaling, you know, brings it up to 4K and it looks pretty good. I actually know a lot of people who prefer playing games uh, with DLSS versus natively in 4K or something because you'll get higher frame rates and all sorts of stuff. 
this new DLSS has a uh, ray trace improvement, so it'll make ray trace games look better. Uh, with a feature called speaking of control, speaking yeah, <laughs> yeah. speaking of uh, I just bring everything back to control because I love the world of, of that game so much. But anyway, this go is on. a new feature called ray reconstruction. I'm just going to quote Nvidia here because I uh, okay, they're saying quote hand tuned denoisers with an Nvidia super it will replace hand tuned denoisers with an Nvidia supercomputer trained AI network that generates higher quality pixels in between sampled rays. So your ray trace games look better. There are some uh, demo photos that they have here, and there's actually a video at the bottom of the post around this. Um, yeah, ray trace shadows, ray trace corners and edges just look better, uh, which is a good thing because uh, I, I think like ray tracing is the thing you want to turn on. As I've been testing this monitor, I've been cranking up the resolution all the way and cyberpunk all the way with a ray tracing overdrive and sometimes brings my frame rate to a crawl, but man, does it look good. So this is a good feature. And what's really cool is that this ray tracing feature will work on all the RTX cards. So including the 3000 series and the 2000, although I don't know what a huge benefit you'll get there. Um, DLSS 3, which launched last year, only worked on the new 40 series card. So this is a weird thing where you'll get some features of DLSS 3, uh, which was mainly frame interpolation to give you more frames uh, for like GPU bound games, I believe that was the thing. Um, yeah. It's kind of cool. Better ray tracing. Also, take a look at uh, some news around NVIDIA's records mega profit. Thanks to its AI chip business, their earnings were yesterday as we're recording this. And uh, let me let me just run some numbers here because NVIDIA's on top. Yeah, no, it's, it's huge. And, and like they, it seems like they pretty well weathered the transition from crypto to ai where like they're just still on top they were never i mean they were never really pumping crypto 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 was a thing that happened to them because of the power of gpus but for years nvidia has also been using gpus and their tech to build like ai chips and now it's finally paying off okay so yeah. the stock was up yes it happened to be up because of crypto yes but they yes. were really pumping ai yep. and now this is now this like is happening chickens so, coming home to roost for them in the good way from steve dent and gadget uh, nvidia announced revenue of 13.51 billion in the second quarter more than doubling the 6.7 billion it made last year uh crushing market expectations it also earned six six point eighteen billion in profit nine times the the 656 million it made a year ago or two years ago that is i should have invested in nvidia should have invested in video um god yeah. dang it they're doing really well. There's also a lot of you know reporting that this may not last for them because other people, pretty much every company is racing to make AI chips too. Uh, so this, I hope they don't fall prey to the innovator's dilemma. Uh, but they're all the work that they've been doing so far has paid off quite a bit for NVIDIA. And honestly, when I review graphics cards these days too, it's like it's there's a little extra level of polish I get from the NVIDIA stuff that I don't from AMD's. Um, almost every time I review an AMD graphics card, it's like, okay, how will this crash my system? Uh, the last, I think one of the last ones I just couldn't review because it kept crashing my uh, my motherboard. And it's it's just like one of those things. I think NVIDIA is in a really, really good spot. And actually related to this news, NVIDIA also announced that uh, a group of modders, Half-Life 2 modders, are working on remastering Half-Life 2 into uh, with RTX. So giving it ray tracing and all the RTX features on their new video cards. Uh, you could check out some sample photos at Engadget. It looks like a huge improvement. Like it, ray tracing changes everything. You the know? head crabs have so much more texture to That's them. That's it. It's texture. It's lighting. 
it's the way things yeah it's, being in a room with ray tracing just looks next generation i've played some minecraft levels with ray with full ray tracing um and the quake mm. 2 thing it's like even simplistic games like those like look mind-blowing once you add the power of like realistic reflections and realistic shadows and stuff so yeah yeah cool. i mean you you can mod minecraft to the point where it will make your pc chug because it's so much of a sandbox i think it's cool that people are remaking half-life 2 with ray tracing just the same way that there was that uh project uh for black mesa the uh, original half-life remake as well i think that half-life in general is just a great platform for bringing stuff into new technology because isn't that the idea of half-life yeah I, yeah i have i've said to friends for a really long time that like the really tired trope that you see on Reddit a lot of like Valve can't count to three is because Half-Life is a platform for new technology. Always has been, yeah. Half-Life 2 was a platform for a new physics engine. Half-Life Alex was a way of Valve to say, hey, look at our Valve Index, like really high-end VR product. Look at what you can do with VR, you know? And they did some amazing things with it. Um, what is funny is that uh, so many Half-Life fans I know um, have not played Half-Life Alex because you you need you don't need the index. You can use any VR headset to get into it as long as you have a PC powerful enough to play it. Um, but that game is also actually very important to Half-Life lore. It actually it it makes a lot of changes, and I cannot wait till more people play it so we can actually talk about it. Um, I don't know what Valve is doing. They should just license that to uh, to Sony and just like get get that on PlayStation Five, get it on PSVR two. That's what everybody would really want, I think, right? That'd at least be a way for you to play it, you know? Um, so, yeah, Half-Life Alex still good. I still have very good memories of playing that whole thing. Um, at the very beginning of the pandemic. At the beginning of the pandemic. Like, yeah, actually, it was very, very fitting. In final gaming news, uh, the voice of Mario, Charles Martinet himself, announced this week, or Nintendo announced, that he'll be stepping down from the role of, of Mario. He's going to be a Mario ambassador, but he will not be voicing the character anymore. Uh, something he's been doing for the past 27 years. So that's that's pretty wild. Well, actually, maybe even longer than that, actually, because um, he was doing it since 1991. Um, Nintendo had this thing at trade shows. Um, I forget what they called it. It was like re it was real time Mario. It was just a Mario face. And he was like behind some boxes or something somewhere um basically marionetting this mario digital puppet and he would like do the voice and say it's a me and hello and do the whole thing that was 1991 so you i posted a video of this thing um he's been the voice of mario for the entire time i've been alive yeah, basically pr pretty much but it's also wild to go back and look at this thing because it's like a digital mario face it's a super mario 64 face in 91 the video we have is from 92 at scs which was i think south ces that's what it was in atlanta um yeah it was a thing um so you said that this is actually a very interesting case where mr charles martinet might want to license his voice to ai can you tell me more about that idea i mean hey it's not like AI is going anywhere. The issues we have now uh, that the WGA and uh, the actors are talking about is AI being used to uh, basically being used in ways that won't compensate them, like having their images taken or something and performances reused over time. Um, but 
there should definitely be a role for, I think, actors, especially voice actors, to license their tech out. We've talked about that when it comes to James Earl Jones, who basically licensed a digital replication of his voice to do Darth Vader moving forward. We don't know how long that's going to last. But uh, Charles Martinet has been such a singular voice from Mario and other characters in Nintendo, by the way. He does Wario. He does Luigi. He does, he does Waluigi. <laughs> he does the baby versions of those characters. Um, he does, yeah. He does some <laughs> different enemies. So I, t- I just feel like, well, this guy has been so indispensable. What if he could just keep doing these voices for 100 years? And what if like you paid him and his estate for the privilege of doing that? I think that would actually be pretty fair to Charles Martinet and others. Uh, what we did learn... And Nintendo confirmed is that Super Mario Brothers Wonder, the new game coming in October, is not using Charles Martinet's voice. And people kind of noticed that. They noticed the wah and the wahoos were different in the promo video for Super Mario uh, Brothers Wonder. And also there's a WarioWare 2 game, um, WarioWare Move It, where people notice the voice sounded different. Nintendo confirmed that he won't be doing the voice in Wonder. We also don't know what will be his last game. So maybe it will be the last one that came out. Maybe it'll be Odyssey. I don't know. Well, thank you, Charles, for all of your contributions, even if they were mostly monosyllabic. I mean, he <laughs> had some good phrases. You know, he he introduced a whole generation to Mario. I just hope uh, I hope the voice moving forward is better than just Chris Pratt in the Mario movie. Let's move on to some other news, and uh, you will get a handful of things, actually. We weren't, uh, we didn't do an episode last week, but last week, uh, Microsoft announced it's going to be holding a special event on September 21st in New York. Definitely going to be a Surface event. This is like the time of the year when Microsoft unveils new hardware, so I will hopefully be on the ground there to check that out. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about Microsoft Surface hardware at this point, Ben, I just feel like they they got to do something. I feel like they're in a weird little rut right now. And Apple's M series chips, especially like the M1 MacBook Air, just took a lot of wind out of Microsoft sales. Uh, do you have any feelings about the service at this point? To be honest, no. Yeah. And you should. <laughs> you, I feel like you should because you're a P. Well, no, you're, you're a Mac user, right? But Yeah, no, I, I am a Mac user. So I guess, I guess that makes sense. But man. I mean, I've big. thought about getting like a one of the cheaper Surface. Uh, but you should. You should uh, just, just get an iPad. For... <laughs> you should just get an iPad so you can sidecar it to your okay. Mac and have another display. Like that's. But yeah. that's isn't that the problem? That's the like, problem. There isn't enough of a compelling argument for uh, Surface things, even if you are like deep, deep in the Mac it, ecosystem. There is an argument for the Surface things, but I also feel like Microsoft has not. Um, there have been issues when it comes to speed and some choices they've made. Like, remember the Surface? What was the one that kind of rocked a little forward? The Surface Studio laptop. Um, but it was too slow. It had like a quad core chip. A couple of years ago, and we're like, what are you doing? This is supposed to be like a producer, a pro-level computer. I hope Microsoft kind of reshapes things. I still like the Surface computers. Um, I believe it was Harry McCracken. Yeah, Harry McCracken just recently um, posted a piece that he wrote around Windows 8. If you look him up on uh, Mastodon, um, yeah, that didn't he used to, I believe, write for Time and didn't get published there. So it was really... This is a weird time because I believe it was around 10 years ago that Microsoft announced Windows 8. Um, I was at the launch event for that in Barcelona because that was a big change for them. That was like going mobile and the Surface came shortly after. It's just weird to reflect on all that and be like, well, Microsoft is just Windows is back and they just make laptops now. The whole tablet laptop thing has kind of died off, but we'll see. Maybe they will have some surprises for us this year. 
Um, let's move on to another bit of news. Uh, the dumb Elon Musk corner. How about that? Because um, we have to talk about that it. We have because... to talk about it real quick. Uh, some dumb <sighs> things. Every time I look down, I, I tried to stay away from news when I was on vacation. I was in uh, Tybee Island, by the way, for a week, which is off the coast of Savannah. You could just drive there. It's it's really cool. It's really chill. And I tried to stay away from Twitter and other news sources for a while. But I did look down at some point and be like, Elon Musk saying, uh, maybe we should just remove the block feature. And sighing my head on the beach and being like, this this idiot. Because a lot of people who have covered social media for a while know that there are some basics you need to be on the App Store or to be on the Google you know, Play Store. And one of those is a feature that allows p- users to block people who bother them. That's like a basic feature. So him like thinking out loud, being like, oh, maybe we should just uh, get rid of this. Maybe it's just unfair to people. Um, will likely never happen. Yeah. Uh, and... The thing that I had heard that is probably just like gossip and uh, people making jokes is that uh, Elon hates the block feature because apparently Grimes has blocked him, his not quite ex-wife, but another one of his baby mamas. Yeah, I mean, good good for her, except she knew exactly what she was getting to. Anyway, it's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. Yeah, No, yeah. like Grimes' whole heel turn is incredible to me because for a while she was like a um like art school goddess yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone that i knew who went to like the tiny liberal art schools were like man she's so cool and then she just became like a techno super villain it's crazy (sighs) anyway yeah lots of dumb things happening uh musk also says he wants to remove uh link headlines and text on twitter to uh improve aesthetics which i believe he spelled wrong um, okay, yeah. Like the idea is like to make things a little bit more compact when you're looking to, at your feed. It has to be more useful because all you get is an image now. Maybe. Yeah. You will, yeah. yeah. Okay. And what good is it for headlines? Um, I think that it's also really important that we talk about, and we don't have this in the show notes, um, how for a little while uh, X was throttling connection to various news sites. And then I think the Washington Post posted, uh, posted, uh, published an article about how they were maybe Elon just had beef with and... Let's say he bought then Twitter. That's, so, could, yeah. It stopped soon after that. But man, one person should not have all of that power. I understand that like the way I use Twitter and the way you use Twitter is very specific. It is for news. We are thinking of it as a wire service. But I think that's pretty important. Like, yes, it's a place where culture happens, but it's a place where culture happens because it's a place where news happens. Yeah. As another failed celebrity uh, once said, no man should have all that power. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. There exactly. was also a piece uh, by Ronan Farrow, which I think everybody should read. It's at the New Yorker. Um, Elon, it's called Elon Musk's Shadow Rule, which is about how much the U.S. government and the Ukrainian government and countries all over the world end up relying on him because he's the guy providing uh, internet service to Ukraine with Starlink. And basically, if he felt like it, um, and he seemed to be wishy-washy about it, he could turn off internet for for Ukraine and potentially, like you know affect things quite a bit um there are some quotes from like ukrainian commanders who are like they they get to the front lines basically and they lose internet and people are dying 
because they geofence the you know how far space uh, mm. you know Starlink would actually serve. and uh, that is incredibly political then like people say oh well it's tech not politics no the idea of where the geofence ends is entirely political it's so and he in public he's also been like i've talked to putin i, I think he has some good ideas uh here's a peace plan which involves ukraine giving up and giving things to putin um hey this is uh to be clear this this entire war was started by russia it's an aggression against ukraine uh to take over ukraine and uh i'm just yeah. surprised that starlink actually works that well i mean starlink here's the thing what's what's infuriating about elon musk is that his stuff can work a lot of it does work the spacex rockets are being used by nasa and other companies like the idea of reusable rockets are good but the guy at the top is a moron so he just keeps talking well yeah, yeah and let's be very clear about this elon is standing on the shoulders of a lot of engineers who are really yes. committed to um, like low orbit internet access and really committed to uh, like all the things that they do in at SpaceX. And he's like a guy with a bullhorn on top of that whole pyramid of people saying, I did this. Did, I mean, he has the money. He has been making a lot of money since selling companies in the mid nineties. And this piece goes over into a lot of that. But there is a quote from a Pentagon official, which I think really wraps this up. Living in the world we live in, in which Elon runs this company and it's a private business under his control, we are living off his good graces. That sucks. End quote. <laughs> that, yes. That's so like plain for a mouthpiece of the American military to say, that sucks. I think everybody should read this piece because it's a lot of good insight. Also... I've read some of the Elon Musk biography, so it retreads a lot of that stuff. But there are some quotes from like his friends and people, uh, his first uh, wife, who if you look at videos of him, like when he got his first McLaren or something like it's it was his fiance at the time. They had like a very tempestuous divorce. But even at that time, she was like, oh, this is we could just become rich, spoiled brats because of this, all this money. So, mm, yeah, that was the beginning of his villain arc. That was I mean. I mean, the, you could argue the beginning was uh, being raised under, you know, under apartheid. <laughs> under apartheid. So <laughs> there, there is that, too. Anyway. and So some AI news, too. Let's talk yeah, about let's that. Yeah, let's end the dumb Elon Musk section. There's also some, uh, some AI news. A judge ruled that AI-generated art isn't copyrightable since it lacks human authorship. Um, yeah. And that's kind of interesting. Um let me see here. The judge, Judge Beryl Howell of U.S. District Court of the District of Columbia said copyright has never stretched so far as to protect works generated by new forms of technology operating absent any guiding human hand as plaintiff urges here. Human authorship is a bedrock requirement of copyright. So I have seen some, you know, responses to this judgment. I think it makes sense on paper, but there are also things. I think there are also some examples of... Um, you know, work being used. Uh, was it the case of the monkey that uh, that took a photo has been copyrighted? I want to get specific about what prompted this ruling. So this uh, computer science professor, Dr. Stephen Thaler, sued the U.S. Copyright Office because he was trying to copyright this one image. And this image is like of a beautiful old railroad covered by um, like lots of plants, kind of like dappled sunlight and everything. And he said that this is my intellectual property because I programmed the AI that made this thing. 
the judge said that since the AI is actually the thing that made this thing, you cannot copyright it. I understand this professor's point of view. I'm very happy that the judge ruled against him. Because the, the, the professor didn't program everything, right? It program, it, he created a model which was trained on pre-existing things, I believe is mm -hmm. what happened, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And if you look at the image, you should go look at the image on the Engadget website. It's interesting, but you can see that this is – like I have seen the images that this was trained on. I've seen this picture on Reddit. Like, this is one of the pictures that you, one of the 50 or so pictures that come up on Reddit R pics all the time. <laughs> How are you going to try to copyright something that is kind of looks like basically a double exposure of like this combined with maybe some like brighter colored flowers? I think that the judge in this case was uh, right in her ruling. And what do you do? What do we think? Can we prognosticate about whether or not this has anything uh, to say about the WGA and SAG strikes? Uh, neither of us are legal eagles, yeah. so maybe not. No, maybe not anything directly, but it's it is fascinating to see this decision being made while at the same time so much so many creatives are worried about like what the potential for AI will be. Uh, I think people have a right to be worried, you know, like the, the worry isn't that AI will destroy humanity. It, it's, it's that it can slowly chip away at things like this, at the idea of creativity and ownership and art. And I don't know where that's going to lead us. You know, it's going to lead us to a world where Netflix makes crappier and crappier movies. I feel like I look at some of these right now. I'm thinking of, uh, what is it? Red Notice. A lot of the ones with The Rock and Gal Gadot. Mm. You're just a copy of spy movie formulas that have been around for a while and they're popular and you get a couple of popular people in there. They've been making B movies like that for a while, but to throw a ton of money at it and to promote it the way Netflix does, I just feel like you're making garbage. Like this isn't art. There's no soul to what you're making here. I think this stuff will lead to soulless art. And that's what worries me. The idea of a post-scarcity society is a bit more abundance for everyone, not the people who own the AI tools having even more than they do right now. Right. Precisely. So anyway, let's move on to what we're working on. I mentioned I'm working on a review of this LG Ultra Gear 49, which is a very, very fine monitor. I'm also working on a review of a, uh, a haptic gaming chair, which I still need to like fully think about. But hey, there's a lot of gaming stuff going on. I'm going to have be in a rumbling chair playing on a 49-inch monitor, living the dream, everybody. Is there anything you want to shout out, Ben? So yeah, in terms of Engadget, we're looking forward to all of the stuff coming in September, Techtober sort of stuff. Like there's not a lot that we can say about like specific dates right now, but like stay tuned. Um, but can I plug a personal sure. project? This is your space. Okay, yeah. So um, I've been trying to get this idea off the ground of um, a show about people who've legally changed their names. Uh, so if you have a interesting story about people who have legally changed their names, if you yourself have legally changed your name, or if you know someone who has a very interesting story about them changing their name, please send us an email at podcast at engadget.com. Uh, do a little uh, like summary of the story and maybe I'll get back to you because I'd like to come back to this personal project and uh, what I really need is more folks to talk to. Nice. Cool. Good luck with that, Ben. 
Um, actually, real quick, I want to mention, I got a question from somebody on Twitter that I think is actually going to be really relevant to us right now. Um, I have to look up this person's name, but several people have messaged me about like TV advice and like, has my, um, have my suggestions changed in 2023 compared to other years? Typically I'd say like, go get an LG OLED or go get like whatever you can afford, you know, that's not the cheapest thing, like maybe a nice mid range TCL six series or something. I have noticed that Wirecutter and a lot of other places are shifting their recommendations over to Samsung's new S90C OLED. And what's interesting here is that this uses the new QD OLED technology, which we've talked about on the show here before, slightly quantum, quantum dots. dots OLED. And it's slightly brighter, has slightly punchier colors. And I'm surprised that a lot of reviewers are like, yeah, this is good. This is actually better um, than LG stuff. LG's TVs are still really, really good. And I've seen some incredible deals, insane deals. I bought a 77-inch OLED for my dad. Um, I think it was like 1500 bucks in April, just in 77 inches. Um, I've seen the 65s go below that price quite a bit too, and not like the basic level models either. Um, LG's OLEDs are still good. If you want Dolby Vision, which honestly, I still, I think you should probably get a TV with Dolby Vision if you really want this stuff. The LGs are still very, very good, but I think you should just go in person. Go look at those Samsung S90Cs, and I wish I had space to do like TV reviews and stuff because I just want to see this thing in action more. But I have seen, um, you know, I've seen some QD OLED stuff. That Alienware gaming monitor I reviewed several months ago had QD OLED. It's incredible stuff. So screens are getting better. Um, you know, keep an eye on all those things. And as always, folks, if you have any questions, drop us an email at podcastandgadget.com or, you know, shoot me an email. Shoot me a note on Twitter. Um, what is it now? If it's not a tweet, it's an X, it's a post. I don't know. Uh, I'm always going to call it Twitter. Shoot me a tweet. It's a letter from your X. It's a letter from my X. Uh, <laughs> or Mastodon or Blue Sky. And I'm on threads, but I don't really check threads. So anyway, let's move on to our pop culture picks for the week. What do you got, Ben? Okay, so uh, I think I'm going to recommend an album, but it's inside a story because I can't help but telling stories. Man, that's why I got into this business. So uh, recently I've been uh, doing gymnastics for adult beginners. I started yeah. doing it in uh, March of this year, and it, it's a lot of fun. I did not know how to do a handstand or a cartwheel before this, right there with you. but yeah. now I'm pretty decent at uh, cartwheels and stuff. I am now at the like gymnastics ability of a fourth grader or so. It's also a great way to like listen to new albums. Um, the folks at the gymnastics gym that I go to put on these new albums, and I would never have heard this album Fountain Baby by uh, a R&B artist, Amare, if it hadn't been playing at the gymnastics gym. This is a really great, like, smooth, kind of sexy R&B album. And it also, like, kind of crosses genres. There's one oh, uh, yeah. track. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Uh, I think it might be track nine, track ten or so, where it literally just sounds like a Japanese punk song. And then it goes back to, like, really smooth R&B. It's cool. Check out Fountain Baby by Amare. What do you want to talk about? Uh, well, I'm definitely going to talk about Ahsoka, but now that you're talking about albums, I do want to shout out JPEG Mafia's, like, big one that we released. Oh, my God. So good. Wait. Yes. Hold on. Yes. I'm going to say. I had no idea that you knew anything about Peggy. I know, I know Peggy. I know Peggy. I know a little <laughs> bit about Peggy. Well, specifically, what got my interest was, like, I've, I've seen his mixes and stuff around, uh, but there is this one track, Kingdom Hearts Key, 
which features Red Veil, which re- samples the opening of the Vision of Escaflone, which is just like I don't, I don't even know what's happening anymore. The the anime series I watched when I was a preteen in like 1996 is now <laughs> the source, like just the source beat, the source melody for this track. It is, uh, it's pretty good. So talk about like using like Japanese um, punk influences. It's just he's like straight up J-pop. J-pop. Okay, yeah. yeah no, I, I had no idea that we were going to talk about JPEG Mafia. JPEG Mafia is one of my favorite rapper producers right now. I think that he is totally incredible. I think that his uh, point of view on the world is dark, but very valid. He seems like a cool dude. Like, I, I get it. I, I can be kind of dark at times, too. I'll watch any interview with him. He did a, like, half hour interview at Cambridge Union. This is like <laughs> okay. Cambridge yeah. University yeah. in England and just ended up sounding super super smart. I think that he's like really treading new ground in terms of being a producer and he could quit rapping tomorrow and still be completely changing the game just by production. It's pretty cool dude. So his new album is Scaring the Hose um with Danny Brown, which I'm saying <laughs> yeah. on this podcast it's it is scaring the hose. It's a great it's a great album. And specifically, like, I love Lean Beef Patty, which is the opening track. Like, there's just a lot of great inventiveness here. But I just was blown away to hear the vision of Escaflowne's opening. I'll send you a link, Ben, um, to it. And maybe we will... I think I've heard it, yeah. but yeah, I'll listen to it again. We will... You could just, like, sample a bit in here, in this episode at some point. So, here, have a listen at Kingdom Hearts Key. Okay, so you also wanted to talk about Ahsoka on Disney Plus. So tell us more. Yeah, about so that. I reviewed Ahsoka, which is the new Star Wars series, the live action one that people have been waiting for for a very long time. And um I, I think it's it's fine Star Wars, but man. I did not expect this to be a direct sequel to Star Wars Rebels, which is the cartoon series that ran from uh, 2014 to 2018. And it's just one of those things where it's like, man, it just expects you to have all that knowledge, to know these characters, to know about what's happening. I've always been fascinated by the character of Ahsoka. I never really um, followed Rebels that much, but I've, I've basically spoiled myself because I think Ahsoka is really intriguing. I think some of the narrative uh, twists that they added to that show to Rebels were really interesting. Like Rebels, spoilers for Rebels, spoilers for stuff that's going to be happening in Star Wars. But Rebels basically introduced the idea of time travel and space time travel. And like it kind of did the thing that Game of Thrones did towards the end where um, there was a major fight where Ahsoka, I believe, was fighting Darth Vader and was struck down by him. And at the end of Rebels, they go back and save her by pulling her through a hole in time. Um, okay. Yeah. That happened. Sure. That's canon. That's Star Wars. That's yeah, silly. That's silly. But it that's that feels like it's breaking the Star Wars universe. To be honest, so I think Dave Filoni, who's the creator of this and who has been the guy behind all the animated series, I think, and I generally trust generally Dave trust Filoni him too. This is the guy everyone's like, yeah, this is the successor to uh, Lucas. Basically, like if if anybody were to be the caregiver of Star Wars as it is, and not just Kathleen Kennedy, the producer, um, it would be this guy on a storytelling level. And I, I think the show, like it has great lightsaber battles. I love Rosario Dawson. I think the wider cast 
is very, very good. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is here as one of the characters from Rebels. It's basically all the characters from Rebels. Sabine is here, uh, played by Natasha Liu Bordizzo. She is fantastic. And the late Ray Stevenson also shows up as a big bad, as the new villain. I don't think we call them a Sith, but he is, I think they're Inquisitors. He's a bad guy with a red lightsaber. And I love Ray Stevenson so much. And um, yeah, it is, I think this is like, it is both sad to see him and also amazing to see like this guy that I started loving on the show Rome continues to kick ass uh the show is fine but man it really just be any idea of like emotional beats or character motivation it all ties to rebels and if you haven't seen it i feel like god help you because the show doesn't give you much it's like you know so so this is the mm-hmm. marvelfication of the star wars universe sort of very frustrating honestly. i feel like a lot, even the marvel things like play it a little safe like they intro they get you in somehow even if like you, you missed out on the key piece of something whereas this just feels like oh yeah they're just throwing you in the deep end you know and this is different from a show like andor which i also loved which i think is a more a difficult show to watch at times too because you kind of have to you don't really know these characters it's a really complex plot and setup but once you stick with it and or becomes amazing uh, whereas this one is like well you're, they're doing star wars stuff and we don't know why she's going after this bad guy we don't know um this ezra character who is the main character of rebels who disappeared at the end of rebels it's a whole thing um she is seeking out ezra that is her main motivation she's seeking out um emperor thrawn which is uh, they assume if they find thrawn they will find ezra there's a lot of like emotional heft to these things that is just not explained in the show. And I feel like that could have been done more deftly. The show also does the thing that the Mandalorian honestly did a lot of times. It's just all fetch quests. There's a lot of fetch quests. You got to get the key. You, you know, you got to get a, a map. You got to get the key to read the map. You got to follow the map to the thing to talk to the person. Um, it's a lot of that. And I do love Dave Filoni. This is entirely his baby. Ahsoka is entirely his creation. I think he he could basically got the go-ahead from Lucas to be like, well, what if we told a story about Anakin's Padawan? Anakin's Padawan. And basically made this <laughs> whole thing. But I wish as more of a general Star Wars fan, like I like Star Wars. I just didn't, honestly, I hated the animation in Rebels. I tried watching season one. It looks like really bad Disney XD animation because it was, which is unfortunate. Um, I wish I wasn't, I didn't feel so adrift by this thing. So let me know what you think, folks. Ben, let me know if you end up seeing Ahsoka. Rosario Dawson's very good. The lightsabers are very good. I I still get a thrill from a lightsaber, you know, fight. And I think they're shot well. The action's pretty good. There's some good action bits all around here. But it just really takes a while to get going. And something this cool, featuring characters this cool, shouldn't feel like a slog. Okay, so that's all for this episode. Our theme music is by video game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own managing editor of Engadget, Terrence O'Brien. And the podcast is produced by me, Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... I'm still at Devendra on Twitter. I'm at Devendra at Mastodon.social on the Elephant site. And I'm at Devendra on Blue Sky as well. I'm on threads, but please don't message me there. 
literally, if you want to get in contact with me, just email me at benelman.wave at gmail.com. I am not on a lot of the other platforms. If you want to take a look at my last tweet on X, that was in November of last year. Email us at podcast.gadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes because it really does help. It helps us like climb the ranks. It helps other people find us. We're on everything where you can get podcasts, and we will see you next week.